This episode of News Dump is brought to you by Masterclass. America is back. Hey, besties. Sheesh! Rise and shine, gamers. What's happening, goof troops? <laughs> Whoop-de-whoop, here's the scoop. All right, if for some reason you're confused as to why we just rattled off a bunch of silly introductions to the show, you obviously missed our previous episode where we covered the fact that YouTube's algorithm actually seems to reward channels who have consistent introductions, like, hey, guys, or whatever. Uh, the ones we just rattled off are some of the most up-liked ones in the comments section, so... Uh, Thanks for contributing and making us look weird, especially to anyone that's watching this channel for the first time. Anyone who's like, oh, nice thumbnail, click. What the hell was that? Immediately leaves after five seconds. Well, and click the little tab. Don't show me any more of this channel <laughs> ever again. Was this video helpful? No. Sad face. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we might actually have some new viewers this time around because folks, we're working that algorithm hard this week. We got some juicy YouTube drama for you. Mm -hmm. That's right. Let's get right into the news. That's another intro. Ethan Klein of H3H3 Productions and the H3 Pod. You know who Ethan is. Yeah. Uh, he's apparently being sued for $50 million by Triller. $50 million. Which is the, yeah, Triller's the media company who broadcasted the pay-per-view exhibition boxing match between Jake Paul and Ben Askren a few weeks back. They've done another a couple other uh, very gimmicky boxing matches over the past year. Uh, initially launched as a TikTok competitor. Yeah. And morphed into this. Uh, so we briefly touched on a story that broke in the days following that match, but uh, let's dive in a little deeper to give you some context surrounding this absurd $50 million lawsuit against H3H3. So obviously with Jake Paul on the main card and the whole event being more of a circus than a traditional boxing match, the main draw here for eyeballs is a, a far younger generation. A generation that isn't necessarily used to paying a bunch of money for televised events, considering that a majority of the content they consume is free from places like YouTube, Twitch, TikTok, and so on. And since it's so easy for people who grew up on the internet to figure out how to watch something for free, everyone involved in this event knew that it was going to be pirated and that potentially millions of people would end up watching it for free. It's happened every time a YouTube or internet celebrity boxing match has happened so far, so why would this be any different? And Triller knew that it was going to be pirated, and honestly, there's not a lot they could do to stop it. It would be like the world's largest game of whack-a-mole. So instead, it looks like they found a bunch of the more popular links where it was hosted, and then announced a blanket legal threat, which was broad enough to scare anyone who'd even watched a pirated stream, let alone actually broadcast it themselves. You wouldn't download a car. No. How, how much was the fight to watch? On it was like 50 or 60 bucks. Come on. Anyway, from CNET, who reported on all this when it first broke, Triller wants everyone who illegally streamed the Jake Paul versus Ben Askren PPV to pay up. In a statement posted on its fight.tv website, Triller stated it's giving folks who pirated the event the opportunity to back pay the company $49.99, the original cost of the event, as a one-time settlement and release for their unlawful acts. I'm going to close my eyes and whoever, uh, you know, whoever pirated the fight. Um, Step up. Yeah. No one's going to know who it is. Yeah. I'm going to just put the $50 on the table and then I'll open my eyes and uh, it'll be forgotten. Absolved of guilt. Yeah. According to Triller, if those payments are not made, the company will pursue the full $150,000 fine for anyone they can prove streamed the content illegally. Triller believes upwards of 2 million people watched the fight illegally, losing them $100 million as a result of illegal streams. So that's, that's a pretty bold attempt to get a bunch of people scared enough to pay $50 for 
peace of mind because they have no fucking idea whether or not they will get caught for watching a YouTube stream of a fight that someone else hosted. Yeah. Uh, as for the people who actually broadcast the illegal streams, it's apparently it's worse for them, as you might guess, because yeah. the lawsuits are already filed against a bunch of sites with names that you would expect for bootleg streams, like Crack Streams Live, Online 2 Live Streams, My Sports Club, stuff like that. Yeah. But a separate lawsuit is based around the name that uh, people online definitely know and can put a face behind, H3H3 Productions. Yeah. They're suing Ethan. They're suing Gila. They're suing that little baby of theirs. <laughs> and that little dog of theirs. Yeah, and your little dog, too. Yeah. Uh, what's crazy about the blanket lawsuit is it's like like anyone on Twitter, like a very large social media website that's just scrolling by that happens to see yeah, I saw uh, clips of or, or live broadcasts of it. Or on YouTube, a site that anyone in the world can access. On YouTube, it's like you see the streams pop up for years. It was like you could just go on and watch Family Guy, and it's like, Look, someone else is hosting this. It's yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy that they that they could go after someone who's just on YouTube watching it. But whatever. Uh, before we get into all of uh, the H3H3 production, $50 million lawsuit stuff, uh, th- there are some reports that the lawsuit had already been dropped. That was a different lawsuit. But it looks like this isn't true because the news apparently relates to the other lawsuits where they were lumped in uh, with other streaming sites. Uh, and also, Ethan admitted just a few hours ago uh, from when we filmed this on a podcast that his lawsuit is still ongoing. Uh, just clearing that up because this is all still playing out like as we speak. Uh, anyway, here's from Insider.com who reviewed the newest legal documents. Triller's event company has filed a lawsuit seeking $50 million in damages from the H3 podcast, claiming they unlawfully aired the company's Jake Paul versus Ben Askren boxing match on YouTube. The H3 podcast featured one clip from the April 17th fight during an April 22 podcast episode. The episode showed footage from Paul's knockout, streamed from an unlisted YouTube video uploaded on the Klein's channel, as Ethan offered commentary. Quote, They lumped me in here for what I can only determine is out of spite, Ethan said on a May 7th episode of his podcast. Quote, my coverage of the fight was totally fair use. I showed 45 seconds of Jake knocking out Ben and commenting nonstop. The report says that uh, the H3 podcast was originally included in the previous $100 million lawsuit, but then was removed when the company decided to go after them separately. Uh, And uh, in, I think, at least one case, the judge was like, I, I guess they filed it the original one, as though all of the sites had coordinated Yeah, as, to a, do as this. like a vast conspiracy. And the judge was like, no, <laughs> this, is, this is not the case. And then they just redirected their sites on a well-known public figure who has, I, as we're all probably aware from time to time, said not-so-nice things about Jake Paul. Yeah, it's all very convenient, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, uh... From the article. On Monday, Triller Fight Club filed the new lawsuit with the H3 podcast as its only defendant. The complaint, reviewed by Insider, alleges copyright infringement, violations of the Federal Communications Act, and violations of the Consumer Fraud and Abuse Act. Triller said in the complaint that the podcast illegally retransmitted the broadcast of the fight and that the defendant's acts of infringement were willful, in blatant disregard of, and committed with indifference to plaintiff's rights. We are confident H3 will be settling and paying a substantial penalty in the millions in order to avoid the $50 million plus liability, a Triller spokesperson said in a statement. People can try to joke about it, but it is stealing. No ifs and or buts about it. This this is a very unserious lawsuit. And also in case you're like, oh, well, this is the company going after him, not Jake Paul. What? Even if he had talked shit about Jake Paul, uh, Jake Paul is a major investor in the company Triller. So... 
not too far of a line of string you'd need to put up on the wall for that mm -hmm. one. So yeah, this is absolutely going to uh, end up, if it goes in front of a judge eventually for sure, would end up being yet another landmark case for what is or isn't considered fair use on I, YouTube I, and I, elsewhere. And H3 has already been involved in a landmark case of uh, fair, yes. what constitutes fair use. So. Exactly. Does yeah. reporting on and commentating about an event after it's already happened fall under fair use? Or will Triller be able to argue that they still infringed on their copyright? I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, we are absolutely not lawyers, but it seems as though the $50 million number is just absurd. And like Elliot said, this isn't the first time Ethan has had to go to court to fight for what could or could not fall under fair use. He won a landmark case back in 2017 regarding this very issue. So there is some precedent there. At the same time, it really seems as though from the outside looking in, that this is targeted very specifically as some sort of revenge or something or to be made an example of yes. or something. Yes. We're sure that there are plenty of official and unofficial outlets out there who showed the clip as news or commentary who have not had to face and will not face any legal repercussions. Which is, uh, it's a weird approach. This might have a uh, Streisand effect or, or some sort of unintended consequence because, I mean, the H3 podcast is very popular. Mm-hmm. So you're you're immediately alienating and pissing off a very large audience of, and outspoken audience. Yeah, yeah, large, loud audience of people who presumably are in the target demographic you're trying to market Triller to. Yes. Um, yeah, it seems seems maybe yeah not too logical. But anyway, taking this to court and seeing it through, it it could end up completely backfiring on Triller because yeah, if a judge rules in favor of H three and once again sets a precedent regarding fair use, then uh, Triller would have just opened itself up for anyone and everyone to produce content using their footage as long as they're commenting on it, reporting on it, or modifying it enough to see where it would fall into the same guidelines. Yeah. So, yeah, this will be an interesting one to watch if it ever actually goes to trial. Uh, I mean, as we said before, Ethan literally just did a stream on Thursday giving some updates regarding the lawsuit, but nothing outside of what's been reported. However, he doesn't seem too incredibly worried about it, so... Again, we'll just, we'll just have to wait and uh, see what happens. But obviously, we hope this lawsuit gets dropped. It's ridiculous. Or, I don't know, or that it goes to court and the judge rules in favor of uh, Ethan and Hila and tells Triller and the rest of the world that it is fair use. Uh, and th th that would result in... Uh, <laughs> Everyone doing this. Yeah, I would just throw random Triller fight clips into our episodes <laughs> just... Just for the hell of it. Hey, let's watch him get knocked out one more time. Oh! Yeah, there he is. There it is. There's the commentary. And they're just like, oh, we shouldn't have done that. We should Now everyone can do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. If they if that happens, if it, if it works out how we want it to, that'd be great. It'd all be, it'd be totally legal. Yeah. And it's like, okay, even if Ethan is stressing about this, which, I mean, if you were getting sued by fi for $50 million, regardless of whether or not it's frivolous, that sucks. Yeah. And it's an extra burden on your life that you have to deal with. Like, at the very least, you have to fucking call up your lawyers on retainer. Be like, hey, so yeah. it happened again. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely something that weighs on you. But, like, I don't know. Who knows? That Like, it only time will tell. Uh, see seemingly, the other lawsuits were... Uh, either thrown out or whatever within weeks. So it doesn't look like it should take too much time to hear some kind of verdict on this. But uh, interesting, I guess. Uh, bold move, Triller. Very bold. Also threatening everyone that would potentially watch it. Like, by the way, we know you pirated it just for a little taste. 
But uh, why don't you go ahead and give us that money, or we're gonna fucking sue you. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's an interesting interesting tactic. Well, if you watched it and you feel like giving them money, you have until June first. Yeah, where the big, big hammer of justice is gonna come, and ruin your life. You will owe millions of dollars. Yeah. to Jake Paul. Anyway, uh, moving yeah. on now from that nonsense over to big mainstream Hollywood entertainment news. Hollywood. Ellen is done. Ellen is no more. Ellen is officially putting an end to her show, but it's uh, it's. Guys, it is has nothing to do. It's totally unrelated to the fact that she was exposed last year for being a pretty terrible person to work for or be interviewed by or just be around in general. It has nothing to do with that. No, absolutely nothing not. Nothing to do with those lies, by the way. <laughs> uh, which were... Prove uh, it. In, in an interview she did with like the Today Show, it was like, to- uh, just weird how coordinated it all was. Like that, like, like that people working behind the scenes of her show who... Rely on her for their for their employment. Yeah, decided to take her down for that's, that's always completely pointless. That, that's one of my favorite uh, bullshit defenses. Whenever anyone gets like outed for being a terrible person, they're just like, "Huh, isn't it interesting how everyone's uh, revealing how much they hate me at the same time?" It's like, yeah, that's how shit fucking works. Like one person says something, and then someone else is like, "Yeah, yeah. I also had a bad experience." Yeah, <laughs> that's just how fucking shit works. Yeah. Anyways, um, has nothing to do with any of that. Ellen is obviously a saint. Yeah, she's a fun-loving. She likes to dance. She likes to dance. Uh, she loves memes. She yeah. loves ruining memes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, a meme killer. So yeah, nothing to do with that. Totally not the reason she's throwing in the towel. In fact, she claims that the reason she's ending her show is it's just not a challenge anymore. No, sounds a bit weird. I mean, sounds like the greatest challenge she could ask for was trying to revive her show after a bunch of people uh, in front of and behind the camera claimed that she was a monster and a bully. That seems like quite the challenge. Yeah, it's all uphill from there. Invigorating. Yeah. But uh, yeah, her show will be coming to an end after 19 seasons on the air and a complete nosedive in ratings after she returned to the air following the expose about the work environment on her show, uh, something that had been an open secret in the entertainment industry for years. We've talked, we talked about it when it happened, but like, Knowing anyone that has worked in production, she's a fucking monster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, there's there's definitely stories. I've known multiple people. It's it's a yeah, and I I remember like COVID especially pushed it over the line where she, well yeah she, she wasn't just, she like using like non union people uh, like her union employees weren't getting uh, paid. I don't remember the specifics, but it's basically she didn't keep her staff in the loop at all. She's like, oh, uh, by the way, the show's airing. And yeah, it's, I'm doing like, it right, my we're, going, we're going on indefinite hiatus for yeah. COVID. And then she brought the show back, but without contacting any of her actual crew, yeah. just hiring a bunch of fucking scabs to, like, set up her webcam for her. Yeah, and, of course, <laughs> the the now infamous interview with, uh, was it? Uh, Dakota Johnson. Dakota yeah. Johnson, yeah. And uh, the one where there, there's so many that, like, in hindsight, you can point out. There's uh, Mariah Carey, like, bullying Mariah Carey into admitting that she was pregnant. Oh, my God, uh, yeah. There... Even, like, the interview that she did with Savannah Guthrie about canceling the show, like, she seemed, like, really irritated by every question. Yeah, she's got she's got some very... Uh, Negative energy. Sinister energy yeah. underneath underneath her veneer. Yeah. It's like the, the, the zoom-in shot where it's all, like, flowers and happiness and happy music, and the closer you get to her face, it's the screams of thousands. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, now over to something that you uh, all uh, actually care about. Other least. than Ellen, which yeah. you, of course, care about a lot. At least more than Ellen news. <laughs> Adult Swim movies and Knives Out casting confirmations. Oh, boy. Yeah, first up, a bunch of uh, staples from the Adult Swim animation catalog are going to be getting feature film treatments. Uh, Venture Brothers, Metalocalypse, and Aqua Teen Hunger Force, which already had an actual theatrical movie under its belt, they'll all be getting feature-length releases. Though, it looks like these won't be going to theaters. 
from Deadline, rather than send the movie straight to Adult Swim's sister HBO Max immediately, the picks will get a release worldwide on Blu-ray, DVD, and PVOD and electronic sell-through with a 90-day exclusive window before hitting the streaming service and Adult Swim. All three of the series were some of the first original productions to air on Adult Swim. I said it before, I'll say it again. Bring back C-Lab 2021. It's the perfect year. C-Lab was fucking great. Yeah. I, I saw the the Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie in theaters. I so did I. I got I was so high that I like as soon as the movie ended, I was like, I don't remember anything. <laughs> I my mind is absolutely blank. All I I've this- completely lost the ability to form short term memory. And that's their fault because they knew their audience was going to get high as like, shit. Like I remember, I was just laughing the whole time. It was the funniest fucking thing. But I have zero memory of anything that happened in it. I remember where I was. I was at the uh, <laughs> Chinese theater in Hollywood. I remember who I was with, and I remember one part of the movie specifically and nothing else. The intro, the intro with, like, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> with Mastodon. Yeah, that was doing, sick. Doing the go to the uh, go to the uh, that's, lobby. That's all I remember. Yeah. Anyway, the article gives some information about each of these films, starting with Metalocalypse. The new Metalocalypse movie from co-creators Brendan Small and Tommy Blanche follows the power-hungry tribunal as they unveil their secret and deadly Falconback project. This is against a backdrop of a world which is growing embattled in chaos with the menacing Doomstar breaching the Earth's atmosphere. Meanwhile, the mysterious and twisted descent of a band member threatens the future of Death Clock. Picking up directly after the heroic rescue of Toki Wartooth, can Death Clock choose between their egos and the greater good of the world to embark on a gauntlet of dangers that will try their very souls? And finally, write the song that will be their salvation? I did have to say, uh, I saw Death Clock live and it was awesome. So, so what? Maybe they'll tour again. Is- so I assume it's Brendan Small. Yeah, and, as if, and there was a screen with like animation. Oh, so they do it like gorilla style. Yeah, and I think Mastodon opened for them, or some, it was some pretty good metal band that opened for them when I saw them. I saw them at the Palladium, and it was sold out. So they they drew a huge crowd. Brendan too. Small is legit, like extremely musically talented. It's yeah, weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in the Venture Brothers movie, Doc's latest invention will either bankrupt the Ventures or launch them to new heights, as Hank searches for himself, Dean searches for Hank, the Monarch searches for answers, and a mysterious woman from their past threatened to bring the entire world crashing down on them. Uh, and uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force will be a continuation of the hit animated series, whereby fans will find out what happens next with Frylock, Meatwad, and Master Shake, who consider themselves crime fighters, but the truth is they never fight crime. Um... I'll say the one thing that I've enjoyed, or it's probably been years now, but it's like the last thing I really... Stone Cold Lock of the Week. (laughs) I was just going to say, Lock of the Century. The every week, uh, what's his name, Carl or whatever, doing uh, uh, fantasy football picks. That was the best thing on YouTube. I loved it. Uh, Anyways, no release date was given, but we can't imagine that we'd have to wait too long. Um, Probably next year. Anyway, over in Knives Out casting news. Yeah. Yet another ensemble cast is being meticulously assembled, and it's looking like that gigantic Netflix budget is being put to good use, because uh, just this week it was announced that Edward Norton, Dave Bautista, Janelle Monet, and Catherine Hahn were all announced to be joining the new Knives Out movie, alongside Daniel Craig in the sequel, once again directed by Ryan Johnson, who directed everyone's favorite Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, it literally was my favorite of the I new mean, ones. Me too, yeah. but you got to be careful who you say that to. The casino scene with the girl! Why are there Asians and black people in space? (laughs) Anyway, these definitely will not be the last names announced for this Knives Out cast. And as you'll remember, Netflix bought the rights to two sequels for nearly half a billion dollars. So you would expect these films to be just outrageous. Yeah. Balls to the walls. Still not sure if the plan is to release them in theaters exclusively before the films head to the streaming platform or if they will get any theatrical releases at all. But we would assume with these big casts and these big budgets, they'd probably want to. 
I guess. Maybe? Yeah. I mean, so far, Netflix has done just very specific, targeted theatrical release, specifically for award shows. Awards consideration. They'll just yeah. put it up at the Egyptian, which they own, for yeah. like the requisite two weeks. But I feel like with something like this mass appeal that they, like this might be a nationwide release. I, I don't know. I, yeah. It seems like, I mean, it wouldn't be a waste because that people have Netflix and they'd watch it on there. It's just like, this was a real fun movie to see in theaters. Yeah. Especially with friends and stuff. I quite enjoyed it. Anyways, we've got more news for you, including a bunch of updates on stories we've been reporting on. But first, we have to th uh, take a quick break to thank today's sponsor, Masterclass, which is perfect if you're trying to learn some tips about acting so you can star in a Knives Out sequel one day and get some of that Netflix money. Or you can get your knives out and learn some cooking stuff yeah. from, like, Gordon Ramsay, I believe. Or woodwork. Yeah. Uh, have you ever wanted to try something new or perfect the skills that you have in a certain area but couldn't break through whatever it was that was holding you back? Well, that's where Masterclass shines because you're getting information from literally the best people in the business from a variety of fields like cooking, music, film, animation, business, tech, and plenty more. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn the art of DJing and music curation from Questlove. You can improve your cooking skills from Gordon Ramsay. Or learn game design and game theory from Will Wright. With over 100 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. Uh, I've said this every time we bring this up, but the, the Tom Morello guitar class is very cool. Yeah. Um, get a lot of, if you're into Raging Against the Machine at all, even if you don't play guitar, it's just a very cool insight into you know, his whole process. Yeah, and I watched a few chef's videos uh, to, to work on my flair in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. I've got the basics down, but uh, there's something that elevates you from just cooking food for yourself to uh, doing something that's presentable for other people, that's not right. just you and your significant other. Anyway, these cinema quality classes give you unparalleled access to literal experts, and the lessons range from showing you how to execute a technique to insights about that craft. You can explore lessons in any order across your phone, tablet, Apple TV, or computer. And at just 10 to 15 minutes, you can squeeze a few lessons in here or there without setting aside an entire day. If you're interested, we definitely think you should check it out. Get unlimited access to every Masterclass. And for our viewers, you can get 15% off an annual membership by just going to masterclass.com slash newsdump. That is masterclass.com slash newsdump for 15% off Masterclass. All right, now back into the news with an update on the gas crisis. I got a gas crisis. <laughs> In his pants. Yeah. Uh, yes, the gas crisis that has apparently decimated <laughs> the east coast of these United States because uh, at, as we said on the last episode, we apparently learned nothing from the pandemic and have once again created our own shortage. The pipeline is back on, folks. So you better sell all that gasoline that you bagged sell up. Sell it before day. it's not worth anything. Yeah, it's it's going to be widely available real soon, if not already. Uh, poke a hole in that bag and just go around spraying it around in other people's mouths, I guess, if they're willing to pay for it. Now, to recap, the largest gas pipeline that provides fuel to pretty much the entire east coast of the country was the victim of a ransomware attack. And out of an abundance of caution, they shut down their pipeline. That caused a ton of people to just start stocking up on that sweet, sweet gas because they assumed that it was just never coming back. That's it. That's all we've got. So people were filling up canisters. They were filling up buckets, storage containers, uh, even trash bags with gasoline so that they wouldn't run out or so they could resell it at a premium. Yeah. yeah. $14 a gallon. I'll poke a hole in that bag. Best I can do is 13 mm -hmm. Now, of course, all of this hoarding actually resulted in the gas shortage because everyone was taking 10 times more than they needed in order to hoard it. 
And we were convinced that it was only a matter of time before we saw one of these idiots on the news because they inadvertently caused an explosion or a fire or at least, I don't know, threw their back out trying to lift jugs of gas in their trunk, maybe passed out while driving because their backseat was just full of, like, open buckets. <laughs> Damn, I'm gas. high as hell. Whoa. <laughs> uh, well, here you go from a local NBC affiliate in which state do you think it's going to be? Yeah, that's right. Florida. Yeah. A Hummer. <laughs> they actually needed the gas. Right off the fucking bat. <laughs> they needed the gas. They were like, I don't think you guys understand. Yeah. I need 10. I get one mile things a gallon. <laughs> a Hummer burst into flames late Wednesday morning, right after firefighters say the driver filled up several gas cans in Citrus County. According to a spokesperson for Citrus County Fire Rescue, the driver had just filled up gas cans at the Texaco Food Mart near the scene. Firefighters found four five-gallon containers filled with gasoline in the back of the Hummer. Now, uh, apparently, and, and this is just according to random people on the internet, but apparently the fire is alleged to have started because the driver was smoking, uh, which is just perfect. So I choose to believe... What? Yeah. No. But, uh, to further solidify just how dumb this whole thing is, even if the cigarette part isn't true... That local affiliate added a note to the end of the article, pleading for people not to hoard gas and explaining that there is absolutely no need for concern, especially in Florida, because, quote, Florida gets 90% of its gas supply from cargo ships and not the pipeline that was shut down because of the ransomware attack. This was entirely because of hoarding. We're so fucked. The second any real crisis hits this country, we are going yeah. down the drain. It's immediately. It's going to be very bad. But back to the pipeline, though. Now, as we said, it is already back online and operational uh, just a few days after being taken down. So all that hoarding was pointless and the gas shortage was completely self-inflicted by morons. But it turns out the company who owns the pipeline and was the victim of the attack actually ended up paying a ton of money in ransom. I mean, so it, tell, it worked. That's how it happens. Yeah. From Bloomberg... Colonial Pipeline Company paid nearly $5 million to Eastern European hackers on Friday, contradicting reports earlier this week that the company had no intention of paying an extortion fee to help restore the country's largest fuel pipeline. All right, fine. According to two people <laughs> familiar with the transaction. The company paid the hefty ransom in difficult-to-trace cryptocurrency within hours after the attack, underscoring the immense pressure faced by the Georgia-based operator to get gasoline and jet fuel flowing again to major cities along the eastern seaboard, those people said. A third person familiar with the situation said U.S. government officials are aware that Colonial made the payment. Once they received the payment, the hackers provided the operator with a decrypting tool to restore its disabled computer network. The tool was so slow that the company continued using its own backups to help restore the system, one of the people familiar with the company's efforts said. In the wake of the attack, President Joe Biden signed an executive order making it a requirement that government employees use two-factor authentication. <laughs> Guys, you hear about this two-factor authentication? Yeah. Apparently, they even have apps dedicated to it. Which, uh, yeah, it's both shocking to hear that this wasn't a requirement already. It's also somehow not surprising at all whatsoever. No. Hey, you guys hear about this two-factor? They send you a little text message. So you, the way we have it now is, you know. You type in password one. You yeah, and you get in. But this <laughs> way, yeah, it checks your phone. You got to go on your phone and go beep, bop, boop. And I know this is going to be very hard to digest for a lot of you uh, plant managers out there who, you know, find it very easy to just have one password so anyone can walk in and work on things. Yeah, you're going to be answering. You're going to have to open up your text message app and make sure that the right person's doing it. Or, I don't know, give everyone individual logins with their own passwords. That might, uh, you know, help things out. Yeah. Because if you'll remember, the, one, the most recent one a couple months ago was like, there's one login and one password. Yeah. 
the the sewage plant that yeah. almost poisoned an entire city. Oops. Oh, we should probably have individual passwords that uh, change every 45 days or so. Yeah. Instead of just giving everyone. Okay, so its password is 12345. Nah. Don't tell anyone. Mm-mm. It's worked this way for 20 some odd years, and I'll be damned if I'm the one to change it. It's my lucky password. Anyways, let's check in on one of the nation's leading minds when it comes to all things cyber. Mike Lindell, who recently launched uh, the revolutionary social media platform, Frank Speech. Well, this past week, weeks after its actual launch, uh, Lindell held a launch party for the platform at a venue that is described as and literally called the Corn Palace. Uh, apparently, the website, it had just been in beta the past few weeks because this Corn Palace party was built as the official launch of the site. So how did it go? Well, about as good as the launch of the actual website itself. Uh, apparently, some dedicated pillow heads out there eagerly waited in line for hours for it to finally open. And when it did, it was a big waste of time, and it didn't even come close to selling out, so there was no point in waiting out front anyway. Yeah, this was very funny. Mm -hmm. uh, from Insider, supporters of MyPillow CEO Mike Lindell were said to have stood in line for hours to attend his rally in South Dakota on Monday. But the Corn Palace venue was only half full for the event. Photos shared on Twitter show lines snaking around the Corn Palace in Mitchell. The Dickinson Press reported that some people stood in line for up to seven hours for the free event, which let people in on a first-come, first-served basis. The venue fits about 3,000 people, and photos on Twitter suggested it was about half full for the event. Imagine that. Like, uh. like... And I guarantee you, he was like, it is first come, first serve. Listen, not all of you are going to get in. You, you, It's just like the Trump rallies, yep. where they're just like, you better get there or you're not going to get in. And make sure you're wearing your corncob hats and your MyPillow t-shirts with a big cross hanging around your neck so you can stand behind me for all the crowd shots. And let's get some black people back there, too. <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah, this event, again, it seems to just mirror the website, Frank Speech, itself. Once inside, the rally consisted of just a few guests and then just Mike Lindell ranting about election fraud for 90 minutes straight. That's it. Yeah. People drove from far and wide. People apparently drove uh, at least from, like, one, Texas. Yeah, at least yeah. one person drove from Texas. Just like 10 hours or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, He's got fans, very dedicated fans. I don't think any of our fans would drive that far just, no. to, just to see us rant. Well, that's the thing is that it was, you know, what he's going to have that final piece of truth when we go there in the Corn Palace. Yeah. He's been saving it. For the Corn Palace appearance. The Corn Palace. Uh, anyways, now over to a company we haven't heard anything new from in a while outside of the Hulu documentary, which just covered the initial rise and fall of the company and profiled its very strange CEO. We're talking about WeWork. And uh, they've got a, a new CEO who just made pretty much everyone who's enjoyed working from home over the past year or so very angry. And also, I think, probably hurt more potential business for his own company in the process. The new CEO of WeWork, Sandeep uh, Mathrani, he recently spoke at a Wall Street Journal event where he basically said that anyone who wants to continue working from home, they are not as invested in the companies that they work for as someone who is willing to make that commute and show face. From the New York Times. Those who are least engaged are very comfortable working from home. Sandeep Mathrini, the CEO of WeWork, said at a Wall Street Journal event on Wednesday. Those who are uberly engaged with the company want to go to the office two-thirds of the time at least. People are happier when they come to work, he added. Uh, <sighs> buddy. So, first of all, no, absolutely not. A lot of people are really, really happy not to have any commute 
in the morning, especially when a lot of companies are in cities that are prohibitively expensive to live in, which drives the commute time even further up. And it's just a huge waste of time, energy, and productivity. You show up to work angry. You get home angry. There's like fucking three hours out of the day just gone. Gone. Anyway, secondly... I mean, wouldn't it be in this guy's best interest for companies to adopt flexible work-from-home schedules, then get rid of their offices and have to use his company's offerings whenever they needed to do something in person? Or is he just banking on the fact that everyone's just going to operate full-time in WeWorks? Seems to me it would be more beneficial to WeWork if millions more people could utilize their short-term office rentals as needed. Yeah, uh, it like that's the thing. It's like imagine, I don't know, a, a big company here in Los Angeles is like, look, we're going uh, flex work from home. If we have like big meetings or we need to do a company together thing, we'll figure it out. But look, we're going to stop paying uh, $750,000 a month on this office building. Yeah. And instead, when we have to have meetings, we'll just go to the WeWork and rent a boardroom. Yeah. <laughs> what? It's smart. Um, uh, anyways, uh, finally, they, it appears as though the trading card craze has become a bit too overwhelming for uh, at least one of the country's largest retailers. And they are banning the in-store sale of Pokemon and sports trading cards because of it. This is like my middle school. Anytime something got too cool, they'd ban it. You can't play Pogs. That's gambling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, no mention. I looked around. No mention of Magic the Gathering cards. They haven't hit uh, peak craze yet. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, as of Friday of this week, customers were met with the following signs in what used to be the trading card section of the stores. To ensure the safety of our guests and team members, effective May 14th, MLB, NFL, NBA, and Pokemon trading cards will no longer be sold in stores until further notice. Uh, this is uh, seemingly in direct response to numerous fights and violent outbursts in stores and in the parking lots over these cards, especially on days when they were being restocked. Because Pokemon would go like that. I mean, I, yeah, Pokemon, I guess I can see that. I, I, didn't, it's, it's like, I didn't know sports point, trading cards were really all that popular with this current generation. And I, it's one of those things where it's like because of the coronavirus pandemic, the the market for any collectibles immediately skyrocketed. And then you have that, uh, that uh, built-in scarcity that yeah. comes with a lot of the trading cards and apparently sports trading cards as well. So you have people waiting in line at Target like 5 o'clock in the morning on Fridays when they're going to restock stuff and then getting in fights. It's like, okay, we can handle this once a console cycle. There's a bunch of people outside trying to fight each other for Nintendo Switches. Fine. We, once every couple of years, sure. But this is happening every Friday, people getting into fights. And uh, one recent incident, uh, which has to be the thing that like sent them over the edge, was uh, someone uh, brandished a firearm during a fight in the parking lot. Give me that Charizard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and now you can still buy the cards online or just head over to your local game store and support them. Just don't... If you're going to go to your local game store, I mean, this is just general advice, but specifically at your local game store who doesn't want the trouble, mm -hmm. uh, don't fight people or pull a gun on anyone. Yeah. Just give them the money and receive the product and leave. Come, just do the transaction. Yeah. Y'all here to transact, right? Uh, anyways, that's it for today's episode. We'll be back with uh, Weekly Weird News, uh, and uh, there's some updates in there that are going to be doozies. Uh, but in the meantime, please check out our most recent episodes where you can get some context about our uh, silly intro here uh, by looking at YouTube's algorithm based on introductions across the entire website uh, and also... Uh, our most recent episode from this week. Check both of those out, and we'll see you very soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.